0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia.
1: Luke chapter 19, verse 28. This is a really strange verse to start with, um, but you should know me by now. Um, and and, and we'll, we'll figure out how it all works together in just a minute. All right, verse 28. After telling this story... Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. After telling the story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the chance to gather today. and We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit leads us and guides us to truth. So, Lord, I pray that today we would hear what it is that you're saying to us and that you would fill us with the courage and the faith that we need to step into the destiny that you have for us, into the responsibilities that you've given us. And Lord, that we everything that we have and everything that we do might glorify you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, next week is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. Um, it is the day that Christian churches around the world Uh, celebrate the beginning of what's known as the Passion Week, the week that led up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It began with what's called the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The crowds of people were lining the streets. They were waving palm branches, thus the name Palm Sunday, they were shouting and praising God. They were asking and expecting that Jesus would come and overthrow the Roman government and set up his earthly kingdom on the earth. That's what, that's what they were so excited about. So that's, that's next week. So I'm thinking, okay, next week is Palm Sunday. I wonder, if, you, know, you know how my brain works, I wonder if... Um, if there was something that happened before Palm Sunday that was significant. I wonder if there's something the week before Palm Sunday we should look at because it happened right before the triumphal entry Uh, that, that was 2,000 years ago. I wonder if there was anything spiritually significant in that moment. And it turns out, that verse right, that we just read, it turns out there was something significant. Jesus told a story. It says he told us that story and then he started his journey towards Jerusalem. So there was, there was, it sounds to me like there's something important about that story. There's something special about that story that he wanted to tell that story before he went to start the, the last week of his life on the earth. And so uh, I, I had to track, but what story are we talking about? So I tracked it back to verse 11 in the same chapter, and we're going to read that. Verse 11, it says this, the crowd was listening to Jesus. Now, Jesus had already been to Jericho. On the way in, he healed blind Bartimaeus, the, the, um, the, well, the blind man. And then he, uh, he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house to have lunch and to change his life. And then he started towards Jerusalem. It says the crowd was listening to everything that Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story. Now what I love about Luke's gospel is that it almost always gives you the point before it gives you the story. So when he says there's a parable coming or there's a story, he tells you what the point of the story is. Jesus told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. So he told them the story. Jesus knew that the crowd in Jerusalem and even his own disciples were confused about the kingdom that he had come to this earth to establish, and they were confused about the timeline, about when that was going to take place. And I think that there are still an awful lot of people who are confused about the kingdom of God, what it is, and when it is, and what it looks like. And so today's message is called Kingdom Clarity. Kingdom clarity. If Jesus wanted to clear up some misconceptions of the kingdom of God before, uh, before Palm Sunday, then I think we probably should do the same thing as well. So this is kingdom clarity. Let's get into the story and find out what it was that was so important that Jesus had to share it before he went to Jerusalem. Let's look at verse 12, the very next verse, chapter 19 of Luke. Jesus said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return this is a real important uh, part of the of the story so l- let me read it again a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return now verse 13 before he left he called together 10 of his servants he divided among them 10 pounds of silver and he said invest this for me while i'm gone but his people hated him And sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, master, I invested your money and made ten times uh, the original amount. And this is the reply, well done. The king exclaimed, you're a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted you, so you will be the governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemned you. If you knew that I was a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops that I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then, turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money, from this servant, and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he's already got 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have, will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in, execute them right here in front of me. Now, there there are probably more than this, but we're gonna we only have time to look at four lessons about kingdom clarity today. Four lessons that bring kingdom clarity from this story that was so important Jesus had to tell it right then and there. And this is the first lesson. The king is gone. The king is gone. From the very first sentence of the story, Jesus made it clear that he was going to go away. He said this nobleman was going to go away to a distant empire to be crowned king. Now in this story, clearly the king is Jesus. Jesus had spent the last three and a half years with these guys, walking with them and talking with them, preaching and teaching and healing and delivering. And their assumption was that they would just hang out with Jesus until he became the king. And they were wrong. And that's what Jesus was trying to get them to understand. There's a timeline here that they didn't yet grasp. Despite Jesus' efforts over the years and a few more efforts in the next week to explain this to them, they just didn't get it. Their sincere belief was that in the next seven days in Jerusalem, it would launch Jesus to the throne and would run the Romans out of their lives forever. Jesus wanted them to understand, I am going away. Jesus, who is still the king, is still gone. It's been 2,000 years. He, the king is still gone. He is no longer walking this earth with us as he did then. He's gone. You say, well, John, if he's not here, like, where is he? Acts chapter 7 begins to show us the picture of where Jesus is right now. Acts 7, verses 54 through 56. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor At God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Let me explain what we just read. Stephen was being killed for his faith in Christ, he was being killed for the things that he had just preached. And in that moment, he looked up and God rolled back the heavens for him and he could see where he was heading. And right beside the throne, standing to welcome Stephen home was Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus had made it to that far distant empire, and that's where he is today. The king is gone from this earth, but he is still very much in tune with what's going on on the earth. So he's there at the right hand of the Father, You're like, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. Like, what does he do? Just hanging out beside the throne. What does Jesus do while he's there? Hebrews chapter 10 starts to reveal that understanding. Hebrews 10, and then we'll go to Hebrews 7. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. So he's at God's right hand. What's he doing? Chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. But Jesus lives forever. His, because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Did anybody come to God through Jesus? Yeah. Amen? Now, what, so what's he doing? He lives forever. To intercede with God on their behalf. Y'all, that's us. That's us. Jesus went away to be crowned king, and while he's there, he is seated next to the throne of God, interceding for you and me. What does that mean? It means he's representing us as our defense attorney, he is praying for us, he is offering his blood for our sins so that every time we sin, if we will confess our sins and repent, then God can be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That happens because Jesus intercedes for us. That's what he's doing in that far distant land. You say John I hate the thoughts of what we did to Jesus on the earth what he went through I hope he's not sitting on that throne still hurting still weak still still uh th- Uh, still hurting from the way we treated him on the earth. Well, well, let me put your fears to rest. Let me show you what John saw just a few years, actually probably 25 or 30 years after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. This is in Revelation chapter one, starting in verse 12. This is what John saw. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Listen, the king is gone, but the king is not dead. He is not suffering. He is not weak. He is not wounded. He may have been the lamb of God on the earth, but he is the lion of the tribe of Judah now. He is very much alive, full of fire, full of power, full of glory, fully in charge, and he still has a kingdom to establish on this earth. Amen? The king is gone. Here's the second lesson that provides kingdom clarity for us. The king is coming. The king is coming. The same verse, that first verse of that story, not only told the disciples that the king was going to be leaving, but it also let them know that he was going to be coming again. Listen, we haven't found the end of the story. If you hear some churches preach about the kingdom, they preach as if this is the kingdom of God, that this is Jesus reigning and ruling over earth, that we're there. And if this is it, I want my money back. I want all of it back because this ain't what I signed up for. I ain't seen no lions, no lambs, no nothing. I This is not what I signed up for. There, if we have not seen Everything that God still has planned for us. This is not that kingdom. Are we to pray God's will be done and his kingdom come? Absolutely. Are we to be working for the kingdom? Absolutely. But this is not that day when the king is coming back. The king is still coming. Not every prophecy has been fulfilled yet. The plans have been made. The preparations are set. The date has been selected by the Father. And when it's time, God will send Jesus, the newly crowned king, back to this earth to establish his kingdom. So I am excited to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ, our king, left this earth 2,000 years ago. But there will come a time when he will return and will finish what he started. The king is gone, but the king is coming. The king is coming. Now, you you can't understand the kingdom until you get clarity on this kingdom timeline because it won't make sense. At least that was the assumption of Jesus and and because in the moments before he started the, the week of the passion, he told his disciples this story so they'd be clear. And so I'm telling you so we can be clear, the king is coming. Now let me tell you how, what it's going to look like. He's coming, first of all, to rapture his church. Now I want to read it to you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul said, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we'll be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Listen, Jesus is coming back. The king is coming and he's coming to gather those the believers who have already died, but he's also coming to gather those of us who may still be alive at the time of his coming. But I don't want you to miss this really important part. It says we will rise to meet him in the air. This is the rapture of the church. This isn't the second coming of Christ. Two completely different events. In this moment, he comes back to the atmosphere of the earth. But there will still be an incredible, uh, powerful moment at least seven years from then when he comes back to the exact spot where he left. And I want to show it to you because this is really cool. I'm a little OCD. Y'all already figured that out. And so this is really, really cool because of how detailed God is. I want to show it to you in Acts chapter 1. This is how he left, Acts 1, verses 9 through 10. Um, Let's go with the scripture before that, Acts chapter 1. After saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. So he rose from the earth into the air, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men, two angels, uh, suddenly stood among them and said, Men of Galilee, like why are you just standing there looking in the sky? That's the, that's the Harrison County version of what they said. Like, what are you doing? You're standing here staring into heaven. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. All right? And the next verse, verse 12, says they were on the Mount of Olives. It said they left the Mount of Olives and went back to Jerusalem. So I want you to see how really, really uh, OCD God is. Okay? So Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, this is describing uh, what's going to be happening on the earth before the second coming of Christ. And and the the prophet says, Watch, for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. This is is during the tribulation period. It's going to be an awful time to be alive on the earth. And and God says, I'm going to gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, the women raped. Half the population will be taken into captivity. The rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fought in times past. On that day, his feet will stand, where? On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives, look, will split apart making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move to the north and half the mountain will move to the south. Now here's another perspective from the very end of the book in Revelation 19. This is the description, a different description of the same event. John said, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was faithful and true. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. Does this sound familiar? And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. That's those of us who were caught up in the rapture. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them, the nations, with an iron rod. He'll release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Listen, Jesus is coming back just like he left. He will come back down from heaven, just like they saw him leave and go into heaven. And he will put his feet right back down on the Mount of Olives. He left as the crucified Savior. He will come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will come back with such power that the Bible says the mountain will split in two. The king is gone from this earth right now, but there is coming a day when he will return to establish his kingdom and then he will rule forever and ever and ever. The king is coming. The king is coming. So what's the kingdom clarity that he wants to give us? The king is gone, but the king is coming. That's what Jesus had to say in the, just in the first sentence of the parable. But Jesus never wasted words. So if that's all he wanted to say, he would have stopped there. There's, other, there's at least two other uh, takeaways from this parable that I want us to get into before we, before we go. And here's the first one. The kingdom work continues. The kingdom work continues. What Jesus was communicating to his disciples in that moment was, I'm going away. I'll be back, but while I'm gone, you've still got work to do. You're still representing me and my interests on this earth. Now, at this point, the the people get divided into two groups. They get divided into two groups. More accurately, I guess, they divided themselves into two groups. There was a group of people who supported the king and were servants of the kingdom, and there was a group of people who did not want him to be their king. The last group didn't care that he was gone and didn't want him to come back as king. So there was a division. The servants of the king and the enemies of the king. Can I tell you that not much has changed in 2,000 years? Amen. There are still groups of, two groups of people. There are still people who are servants of the king, friends of the, of, of the king, and there are still enemies of the king. There are those who claim Jesus as their Lord and those who do not. Those who are anticipating his return and those who are not. But before we get too caught up in who's on what side, we have to remember that the future king told them, you need to keep working on my behalf. Jesus is in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, doing what he said in John 14, going to prepare a place for us But he told us that we have work to do until he comes back. The kingdom work that Jesus started continues to this day. And he gave us, just like he did the servants, he gave us what we need to do the work. Now the story says he called his ten servants in, he divided up some money among them, and he told them exactly what to do. He said, invest this money for me while I'm gone. Now, we know that before he left, Jesus told them, he, he said, go into all the world and, and make disciples, right? He gave them the great commission. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in a message called Pressing Reset. It's, it, is, it is the mission not only of this church and every other Bible-believing church in the world, but it is the mission of every Bible-believing person to go and make disciples of everybody, That's the work that Jesus called us to continue. It's what Jesus started. It's why he came. And it's what we have to finish. So how do we do that? So he said, I'm giving you what you need to get it done. I'm giving it to you so that you can invest it on my behalf to accomplish my work. Now this message is called Kingdom Clarity. Can the expectations of the king really be that clear and that simple? Yeah, yeah. He said, I'm leaving. You keep working. Here's what you need. Go invest it on my behalf for my kingdom. It's that, really that simple. So here's the question. What has God given us? You said, John, I didn't get a pound of silver when I got saved. Like, What has what he given me for the work? That's a good question. In Ephesians 4, the Bible tells us he's given us the five-fold ministry. He's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and it said specifically what he gave them for, to equip the believers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. He gave us these five offices in order to help us get ready for the kingdom work. In Galatians chapter 5, it says he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Now, fruit has seeds. And so we have the seeds of love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, uh, temperance, self-control. We have all of those seeds that patience, that's the one I was forgetting, that we get to sow into the lives of others for the sake of the kingdom. In First Corinthians chapters twelve through fourteen, and in Romans chapter twelve, he gives us spiritual gifts that we get to operate in love for the good of the entire body. And in 1 Corinthians fourteen, he, he shows us that it's also for the for for an example to those who are in the world. In Luke chapter six, Jesus says that we can use mercy we can use money, we can use pretty much anything in this formula. He says that if we will sow it into the kingdom, then it will come back to us. How? In good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over so that we can continue to sow it back into the kingdom right? And then in Luke chapter 11, in John chapters 14 through 16, and in Acts chapters one through two, Jesus tells us that he is giving us the Holy Spirit. He said, the king is leaving, but when I leave, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to comfort you and teach you and lead you and guide you. But most importantly, he's going to empower you for what? To do the work of the kingdom. And we could keep talking about the things, the resources that God has given us. He's given us way more than a pound of silver. Everybody wants to talk about, boy, I'm just blessed. God's just really blessed me. You can catch people in the right mood. Almost everybody will say that. Boy, God's just blessed me. Just blessed me beyond measure. We're just so blessed. And we are. But the question that begs to be asked, the question that Jesus is asking in this parable is how are you investing the blessing? How are you using the resources that I've given you for the sake of the kingdom? Like, isn't that why he gave them to us? Aren't we blessed to be a blessing? That was was weak. Y'all thinking about it that hard? Aren't we blessed to be a blessing? Listen to the things that Jesus said. These are Jesus-y things that he said while he was on the earth. He said, cast your bread upon the water. it has got to leave your hand. What you've got, give it, and it comes back to you. Right, He says, sow and you'll reap a harvest. He says, don't store up your treasures on this earth. Store up your treasures in heaven. He says, do to other people what you would have them to do to you. He says, don't just tell people who are really in need. Don't just tell them, we're going to be praying for you. Hope everything works out with you about that hunger stuff. He said, if you have the means, like actually go and help them. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek the kingdom first and then everything that you actually need will be provided for you. He said, if you're going to have eternal life, then you're going to have to lay your life down for the kingdom. And I could go on and on because y'all, I just quoted like half the Bible, right? And it all comes together with incredible kingdom clarity. Everything we've been given is for the kingdom it's for the work of the kingdom. the king is gone. he's coming back but he left us everything we need. First Peter said every, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness, everything that we need to do what he called us to do he's already given it to us. but are we in fact investing in his kingdom or have we allowed the blessings? To distract us by all the things that those same resources could do for us. You see, we've got churches in America, especially, that have the best of everything. Right? We got the best of everything great singing. Great preaching, great groups, great events that we put on, incredible facilities, and we love to talk about how gifted and how talented and even how anointed the people of our churches are, and we say, oh, what a wonderful service we had today. Oh, what a blessing we got today, and that is wonderful. It's great, but it's not the mission He didn't call us to come together and bless each other. He called us to see people saved and discipled, right? Isn't that the call? So if we're making a name for ourselves, but we're not making disciples, we're failing. If we're growing our brand, whatever that means, but we're not growing the kingdom of God, we're failing. If all we're doing is blessing the blessed, and we're not investing what he gave us in the places that he values the most, then we're failing. Because the blessing comes from serving. It comes from investing in the kingdom. The blessing is not just supposed to be coming from each other. It's like a bunch of millionaires just swapping $100 bills. Like nobody's life's getting changed. We're just trying to impress, oh, well, here's $200 bills. Well, here's $300. What, what, do we have some sort of spiritual auction going on? We're, nobody's life's getting changed. We're just trying to impress each other. And too many of our church services in America have become some sort of narcissistic, self-serving, spiritual entertainment where we're only investing ourselves in ourselves. We're blessed. Meanwhile, the world's still going to hell. There is incredible kingdom clarity when you actually read the book. And not a church growth seminar and not a self-help book and not how to get your best life in 13 days or whatever whatever it is that we're using to extort money out of people. The Word. Take everything that God has given and invest it in the harvest. Going and making disciples. That's the kingdom work that has to continue while we await the arrival of the king. Now, here's the last, uh, here's the last takeaway about kingdom clarity. <clears throat> this is going to sound weird. Um, hopefully, I can explain it to you. The kingdom is not socialist. The kingdom is not socialist. You can put your campaign political signs down. This is not what that's going to be. Let me explain what I mean. The king is gone, but he's coming again. Meanwhile, there's work that has to continue. The last part of the parable makes it clear that not everybody is going to be happy to see the king when he comes back. And it reveals a third category of people. There are still those who hated him and didn't want him to be the king in the first place. And quite honestly, according to scripture, that's going to be the vast majority of people in the world. Right? Right. Um, They're enemies of the king. There are also still those people, we still have those two groups, still those people who are servants of the king, faithfully invested the king's resources. Uh, Into his priorities, and and those are the faithful servants. But there is in the last part of this parable a third group that emerges. These are a group of a subset of the servants who claim to follow the king, but who did absolutely nothing with what they were given. These are the unfaithful servants. They had the same blessings, they had the same opportunities. They had the same resources, but they let something prevent them. This guy said, I was afraid of you, so I didn't do anything. But these, this group of servants let something get in the way of doing what the king told them to do, and now they face judgment. Because, see, the reality is because God is wise and just and holy, he has to provide accountability. He has to. He he gave them a task. His integrity requires him to provide accountability. He has to follow up with them to see if they did what he told them to do. Because God always inspects what he expects. God always inspects what he expects. So the faithful servants were handsomely rewarded. They sowed. So they're going to reap. They were faithful to give. So God is faithful to give back in proportion to what they gave. They get back way more than they ever sowed. That's just the way God is because he's good. But it's not a socialistic system. Everybody doesn't get the same reward. Like if you watch sports, just because they wear the same color jersey does not mean they all have the same paycheck. Isn't that right? Like ask the, you know, the offensive lineman to compare his check with the star quarterback. It ain't the same, I'll promise you. Just because we're on the same team doesn't mean we all get the same reward. You get what you earned. Now we're not talking about heaven and hell. You cannot earn heaven. Jesus had to make the way. So those who have surrendered their lives to Christ are saved, but we are still accountable for what we do for the King. Amen. What we did with what we were blessed with, how we are investing the blessing. Let me show it to you in another place. First 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> the apostle Paul is trying to explain this to a young church He said, anyone who builds on that foundation. What foundation? You Look at the previous verses. He's talking about the foundation of the gospel that he laid, the foundation of the gospel of Jesus. Anybody who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work, look, has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. It is not a judgment of where you'll spend eternity, but of how you'll spend eternity. What rewards will you receive? What honor will God give you? What honor will you be given by the king for the way you honored him and his work on the earth? Can you imagine standing there before the throne of Christ, knowing what he blessed you with, knowing what resources he had offered to you, but having nothing of eternal value to show for it? That everything you did burned up in the fire. I've heard people say, listen, I don't care nothing about rewards as long as I make it in. I don't think you know what you're talking about. Because the word says the builder who watches everything burn up in the fire will suffer great loss. That's what the word teaches. The king is gone, but he's coming again. And he left us with work to do. It's, It's very clear. How are we investing the blessing? See, all of us have failed. All of us have missed opportunities. And it's not really about what you may or may not have done up to this point because we can pray and we can repent and we can receive forgiveness. So this is not about condemnation. It's about conviction. This is about moving forward. So we found this new new kingdom clarity The question now is, what are we going to do with it? or How are we going to move forward with the resources that, that the king gave us? The gifts, the talents, the money, the time, the character traits, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. What are we doing for the king while he's gone and while we wait for him to come back? That's the question. See, he lavished his love on us. The question is, will we lavish that same love back on the people that he died for? We have freely received everything that he's given us. Will we freely give in return? So it was 2,000 years ago, Jesus was about to head to the Mount of Olives and start his descent into Jerusalem. And it's almost as if Jesus stopped and said, before I start the last week of my life, before I go through what I'm about to go through, before I endure the pain and the suffering that I'm about to endure, let me make sure that I'm really clear about what's about to happen. I'm leaving, but I am coming again. But while I'm gone, there's work to do. And it's important work. The work is so important that I'm about to give my life for it. The people are so important that I'm about to shed my blood for them. So keep doing what I'm about to start and keep doing it until I come back. And when I come, when you keep doing what I've told you to do, you will be rewarded for it. That's the kingdom clarity that the disciples needed to launch the church after the king went away. And it's what we need in the 21st century to keep doing the work of the king until the king returns. Y'all stand with me, please. These last few weeks, I really feel like God's just been sort of grabbing us by the collar and just kind of shaking us to get us back to the purpose. Because listen, there's so much going on in the world. I mean, there always has been, I guess, but good Lord, it seems like there's so much noise. There's so much to get distracted by, so much to get concerned about, so much to invest time in that sometimes it's real easy to lose the main thing and if we lose the main thing if we don't do the work of the kingdom who's going to do it Amen. and so I feel like the Lord's just trying to get our attention so for for just a minute she's going to sing a song and this altar is open it's always open if you'd like to come and pray about this about anything else it's, it's open for you to come and pray we're going to sing a song we're going to be dismissed together but please don't rush for the exit because I want you to take at least th- a three minute song And see if the Holy Spirit might have something to say to you. Maybe you've lost that kingdom purpose. Maybe it's gotten lost in the shuffle of all the things that are screaming at us now. So let's just repurpose ourselves today for the work of the kingdom. Maybe we just don't think about the fact that the king is coming. Let's spend some time thinking about that. And based on that fact, and it is a spiritual and eternal fact, then how should we live? So however it is that the Lord applies this message to our lives, let's give him the chance to do that, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you that you love us, but you love us too much to leave us the way we are. And I pray, Lord, that you just help us to continue, that you would continue to refine us and continue to shape us and mold us and knock off the rough edges and get rid of the stuff that's not pleasing to you. And I pray that every day, more and more, we become more and more like you.
0: 3747. That's seven seven zero five three seven three seven four seven. 537 3747 At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.